Good morning. It is great to see you. This has been really fun. I'm so glad you're here. Thank you for taking the time to be here at Timberline. We, uh, we love that. We, we call this our living room because we talk about real life in here. And we, we laugh together, we cry together, we, we get a lot of stuff done in here. So thank you for, for being here. I, uh, I get to do something really fun today that I don't often get to do, and that is acknowledge uh, one of our pastors because we have these kind of uh, marks and we track uh, all of this, but we have a five-year mark, a 10-year longevity mark, and today we're celebrating one of our pastors who this year reached 20 years as a pastor at Timberline. Yeah, that's a big deal. It's, it's a real big deal. And uh, Pastor Brent Cunningham, 20 years. Would you let him know you appreciate him? <laughs> I, I really do love this family. The Cunninghams are special people. And we have uh, just had a great time working together these 20 years. And uh, Brent, I just really do appreciate you. I appreciate uh, Kristen. Kristen, hopefully she'll get to come at the 11:30 service. We sent her some flowers this week. Without her, we don't really want him to stay. So, <laughs> that, just kidding. Um, but we we love this whole family. There are four kids, and you know, one of the things that I really appreciate about Pastor Brent is uh, going all the way back to the beginning. I remember when you first came into my office, and and we had that discussion about you know, is this the right fit for you and all of that. And uh, now 20 years later, can you believe it? Are you no. that old? I mean, really? No, no. I, I was 12 when I came in. <laughs> it's, it's crazy. Uh, but Brent has been an amazing guy with wearing a lot of different hats through the years because uh, one thing about Timberline that I will tell you is all of our pastors and a lot of our staff, um, we have an incredible staff. But we change roles a lot. Because we, we hire someone to do something, and we find out they're a little better in this area than, than we realize. And so we try to get them more over there, and uh, we try to take away the stuff they're not so good at. That's why I don't do much around here at Timberline. <laughs> and, and so we have this great—Brent has had a lot of hats. He's led different departments through time, small groups through time, uh, leads our Wednesday night. He's on our teaching team. I could go on and on, but um, uh, we just love you so much, and we're so proud of you. He's also kind of smart. You know, he's got a brain, and uh, I just really admire, I've learned so much from you too, Brent, so just share whatever. Man, I'm just, I, you guys, I am so grateful. I, you know, for 20 years, Pastor Derry, thank you for believing in me. Mm -hmm. Thank you for giving me a, an opportunity mm -hmm. to lead, and, and, and thank you for the ability just to serve and, and be a part um, of this community. I, you know, I always say I love the Timberline community. It's, uh, I I brag about you all the time because I just think you're fantastic. I think you're absolutely amazing. So I consider it a, a joy yeah. to be a part of this. So thank you. Thank well, you. We want to pray for, for Brent and his family. And um, one of the things that I really respect about Pastor Brent is just his love for his wife, Kristen, his love for their four children. He's very respectful of his parents. There are just so many components of his life that go deeper than being a pastor. And at the end of the day, that stuff matters the most, right? So let's just pray and give God thanks. Lord, thank you for Brent Cunningham and Kristen and their family. 
thank you just for a life well lived, for this man who has taught all of us, who we're learning from and growing from. We pray, God, that you're, there would just be a continued anointing upon his life. And thank you for 20 years. We celebrate that with him. And we celebrate, Lord, may he enjoy uh, the little bonus we gave him financially and some extra time away this year. May he just really do something fun with that and, and have a great time. Let him feel loved and let him know we deeply respect and appreciate him. In your precious name, amen. Say, say thank you one more time, Pastor Jim. Appreciate you. Love you, brother. Bless you. Good stuff. Amen. Good stuff. So, so that's always really a lot of fun, isn't it, to get to do something like that. I really, really do appreciate it. Today, I've called this message, um, Give What? <laughs> because I want it to be like, what is God really asking us to give? And, you know, one of the things that they say about, you know, visitors at church is they don't want to come to church and hear about, you know, money. And uh, when I say giving today, I want three words to come to mind. Every time I use that word, this is what I'm talking about. Time, talent, treasure. Time, talent, treasure. That's what I want. That's what this Mark 12 is talking about. That's what Jesus is talking about. So, so I'm going to talk about it. And it matters. Some of you are in a position right now, honestly, you, you can give money, but you don't have time. You're, you're busy. You're in that season of your life where there's just so much going on. And some of you can give time, but not a lot of money. And it's, it's just interesting when I watch what happens in the dynamic of a living room like this over a weekend like this where I just see the variety that God has put together at Timberline blows my mind often. And I also want to say, you're a very generous church. It, it really, it's, it's very exciting. When I walked through these halls these last couple weeks, and I saw hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of canned goods, of food, of the hundreds of families that we are feeding and taking care of this Thanksgiving. When I look back at the year and I see all these backpacks up here that are filled with school supplies for kids that you took and, and you filled. I see these shoe boxes going out. I see adopt a family. It just it blows me away how, how much you guys do. And thank you. Thank you. But I still want us to take a look by the words of Jesus to see what our mental capacity is for how well we understand what giving. And there's another word that I'm going to throw in here. Image. Image. Am I willing to give my image to God? We all have that. We all have something that we want people to believe about us. How strong is that desire is a critical question. Really critical question. My mom, my mom was super generous. Always, always was. Matter of fact, she turns 90 in December. So all, all of us kids are going to go have a big party with her in, in Missouri. And I, I can't wait. I have four sisters. I have two older, two younger. We have, we're really close as a family. I tell my sisters, it's kind of like an Oreo. All the sweetness is right in the middle right there. <laughs> right there. <laughs> they don't like that very much. But anyway, we're all pretty close. But I can still remember as a kid... My mom being very generous, and she always had something for us to play with in the car, just even as little kids, before seatbelt days, you know what I'm saying? And uh, one thing she always had was gum. 
And I, I, every time we'd get in the car, like to go to church all together, because my dad was a pastor, so he was always there early. So my, my poor mom, bless her Lord, um, take all five of us kids, you know. And we would get in the car and we'd say, can we have some gum? And she'd say, of course. And she'd open that purse and pull out, it, I think it was called a double pack of the stick gum. Do they still make that? Like stick gum. Now you get these little boxes of round gum and all this. But, but this was stick gum and it was like a double pack. And you'd take that red little thing off the top and pop up and then there's all these sticks of gum. You know what I'm talking about? And then we would pull out a piece and she would say, but you, you, you need to split one. With five kids, you can go through a double pack pretty quick, right? And so we had to split it. So I learned kind of young that if I could, especially with Tammy and her name, my two younger sisters, if I tore it in half about three quarters, <laughs> I, could stick the, I could stick the little piece out farther in my hand and hold this, say, do you want the big one? They, they caught on real quick to that. Um, so my mom made a rule that one of you has to tear it in half and the other one gets to pick which piece they want. It scarred my life forever. I, I've never been the same since then. <laughs> the point was, we, we're always trying to look for the way that we can have the advantage. Even in giving, our world teaches us. Now I'm going to ask a real question. I want you to really be honest. How many of you try really hard to pay the least amount of tax possible and still be legal? All of us. And we work it, baby. I mean, we work it. We, we try to get every deduction, every, what, what, what is that? Well, we, we need our money. And there's something that happens in our culture when we live this way, needing to be front in line, needing to go first, needing to have my choice of this. I don't want to pay for parking. You go to a big event and it's $20 to park in this lot. Well, I'm going to go down the street. I know where I can park for free. So we're constantly working the system to try to pay the minimum. And I'm afraid that, if, without even realizing it, I don't think anyone tries to do this, but I think when it comes to the kingdom of God, we start to sort of try to do the minimum and still have God's blessing. Like, well, I, I, I better do this or you know, God might be mad at me. Instead of this lavish love of God that says, you own everything. Now we teach and I believe God does own everything in my life. And we're going to see a story that really puts this to the test with someone in the Bible that we don't know her name. We, we know that she is a widow. That's what we know. And so I, I want you to really be challenged today by this. Now, Jesus is going to start out, there are four main points that I want to give you. The first one is Jesus clarifies something. And this is a teaching point that will go into the giving aspect and some of the things that we've, we've started with today. But this particular aspect is a teaching that the religious teachers of the law were not teaching correctly. And it's kind of confusing when you read it, so let me just set it up like this. It's actually very simple. They were teaching that Jesus, or the Messiah, not Jesus, that, that the Messiah would be David's son, Old Testament King David's son. And that he would be full, and that means probably in the lineage of David. How many of you know that Jesus was in fact in the lineage of David? However, 
they were teaching that this would be a mere mortal man. It would not be a God-man like Jesus was with the Heavenly Father, with Mary who was a virgin conceiving through the Holy Spirit. And Jesus is about to make a correction with the people in the synagogue from what they've been told by the religious leaders. Let me read it. Mark 12, verse 35. Later, as Jesus was teaching the people in the temple, he asked, why do the teachers of religious law claim that the Messiah is the son of David? For David himself, speaking under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, said, and he's quoting Psalm 110, verse 1, the Lord said to my Lord, Seems confusing, but I'll explain it in a second. Sit in the place of honor at my right hand until I humble your enemies beneath your feet. Since David himself called the Messiah my Lord, how can the Messiah be his son? So the large crowd listened to him with great delight. So here's the answer. In Psalm 110 verse 1, when David does in fact say, the Lord says to my Lord, he uses two different words for Lord. He uses Yahweh, which means mighty ruler, God the Father. Yahweh says to Adonai. That's another word for Lord. Jesus is called Adonai, which means ruler or master. And so what David is saying is that the Messiah is in fact God. And the day will come when Yahweh the Father will put his enemies at his feet and they will be his footstool, and he will overcome, and he will conquer, and he will be known as the true king. And this is a big, this is a big step. And so he makes that correction. People are listening. They've never heard this before. He's teaching with authority. And then Jesus moves into the second correction or story, and that's number two in your outline, and it's this. He warns them. Jesus gives a warning and it's tied into some of the same things that he's just been talking about. So Jesus also taught, verse 38, beware of these teachers of religious law. In other words, they don't always tell you the truth. You need to know that. And uh, he's saying, again, there's more. For they like to parade around in flowing robes, receive respectful greetings as they walk in marketplaces, and how they love the seats of honor in the synagogues and the head tables at the banquets. Yet they shamelessly cheat widows out of their property and then pretend to be pious by making long prayers in public. Because of this, they will be more severely, what? Punished. Punished. This is a this is a big deal. Let's talk about some of those things and just see where we line up in this. Flowing robes. They like to wear flowing robes. Do you guys like to wear flowing robes? Okay, we'll check that one off and move on. All this was was impression. And, and these religious leaders would go have these ornate robes made to try to make a scene. And, and boy, they looked amazing. And they wanted to walk into a room and everybody go, oh, oh my goodness. Man, take a picture, you know, got to get that. That is amazing. And, and it's all image-driven. And this is the part that I think Jesus is really building up a, a frustration as he's saying this stuff. Respect in public, 
They like respectful greetings like, sir, call me by my title. That's important to me, that you know who I am. And Jesus despises that. Seats of honor at banquets, you know, they had to be at the head table. And Jesus sees right through that. Now, the reason I'm telling you all this is because in some of, some of the things that I read this week alarmed me a little bit about studying some of this. People who live like this, who are image-driven, who want you to believe stuff about them um, that maybe isn't really true, many of them don't know they're doing this. Like, if you ask them if they were arrogant, they would say, oh, no. I, I've tried to live humbly. They really believe they are worthy of acknowledgement. And so I, that's why I'm saying, would you just stop and ponder this for a second right now and ask the question, do I do any of this? Do I try to puff my image up more than what I really am? Do I, do I try to look better than I really am? And why do I do that? Why do I feel the need to tell somebody I have a better experience than they have or I make more money, I drive a nicer car, all right? What, what, is, it, what is that? Jesus is saying that's not a good thing. And so in my generous heart, in my giving, my acknowledgement of knowing God owns it all takes all that away. I don't own anything. And if I live that way, then I live with a true keen awareness that I belong to God and everything that is mine really is his. Then I can steward it, right? Then it becomes way easier to, to live with. And, so he's, and then, then Jesus says this thing. Cheat widows out of their property. King James says, devouring widows. What is that? Here's how that happened. In this culture, the culture that Jesus lived in, especially the Jewish mindset, women got run over. They had very little value. And so when it came to an estate and property, nothing would be titled in their name. So a woman's married to a man, the man reaches a point where he knows he might die, guess where he would go? He would go to a religious leader, and he would make that religious leader the executor of his will, trusting him to do a good job with the property and the funds and make sure that his wife would be taken care of. But what was actually happening is, after he would die, these religious leaders would find loopholes in the law to take that property from the widow, and the widow would become poor, and the religious leader would become wealthy. And Jesus despises that. That's why he, we saw in that text, they will be severely punished. Unique little couple of words, meaning they're going to face the music someday. God is not happy with that. And then he goes on to say, they, they say really long prayers, uh, in public places. Who do you pray to when you pray? God. Praying in public is interesting. Like, what if that was not a thing? What if, what if we never prayed in public? How would it change our, our prayers? Now, at Timberline, we pray in public. We've already had Pastor Donnie led us in a, a, a corporate prayer. I believe in that. We have a prayer team that's going to come up here after this service and be available to pray over you. I pray for people almost every single day. And sometimes I get to do it 
with them there. I prayed for someone out in the mall area already today who, who had a need. And I just felt like saying, can I just pray for you? But when I pray, I'm praying to God. I'm not praying so they can hear me. I'm trying to pray an earnest prayer from my heart that has them in mind. You see what I'm saying? But, but these, these religious people, these leaders, were, were, were practicing their prayers so that it would be impressing the hearer. And they would stand on the street and say these eloquent prayers with all these big, long words. And wow, Jesus is saying, that's not what it's about. So I have to ask the question, why do I say the things I do? Why do I pray the things I do? It's, it's just a good stopping point for us to pay attention to the things that might be happening to us that we don't even see in ourselves. Is arrogance coming in me at all? And how could generosity take that away? Because listen, when you live generous and you recognize God as the owner, then suddenly stewardship is all you're trying to do. You don't hold anything. You don't have anything. And that's way different. That's way different than thinking you are the owner and it's all up to you. Okay, number three, Jesus observes. He, he observes what, and this is kind of an uncomfortable, uncomfortable situation, to be honest. It's, it's kind of awkward. In verse 41, it says that Jesus sat down near the collection box in the temple and watched as the crowds dropped in their money. Many rich people put in large amounts. Then a poor widow came and dropped in two small coins. Is that odd to you that Jesus watched? Like, like today after church, I'm going to go sit by the box. <laughs> and I'm going to see what you really give in that box. So that had to be a little awkward. He goes back, and maybe he did it subtly. I don't know. But he's watching who's given what. And he saw some wealthy people giving plenty. And then he saw this widow. Isn't that interesting that he's just been talking about widows? I don't know if he knows her story. Like maybe he knows the religious leader who ripped her off. I don't know. And that's why she's poor. I don't know. But he makes this profound statement that we're going to read in just a minute. But he's watching. And I, I just couldn't help but, but have pause and make this its own point, even though it's not a long point, that Jesus is watching. And, and I don't know if that, if that is a comfort or a disturbance to you. Like, like I, as a kid, you know, I heard this my whole life, Jesus is watching. Matter of fact, there was a song. There was like this old hymn kind of song that talked about the, the, you know, the eternal eye of God looking to and fro. You know, it's like I wake up in the middle of the night, you know, as an eight-year-old kid going, where's the eyeball? You know, it's like <laughs> so creepy. But God is watching. And I think this point is good because it makes me aware that I have no real privacy in my life. Everything done in secret is going to be shouted to the sidewalks. Some of you are like, i got to confess that right now. I don't want that to be shouted. Of course we don't. But you're not alone. And you don't have the ability to hide or keep anything 
away from God. He sees right through your actions into the motive of your heart. Wow. That's a big thing. Think about this this week. Just think about it. Jesus is watching. And I hope that will be a comfort, not a curse to you. Last thing. Jesus teaches. He's about to teach, seeing everything that he's seen in this story, and he's about to to call the disciples together. As a matter of fact, church is over now. The synagogue is emptying out. He's watching people give on their way out. And then look at verse 43. It says, Jesus called his disciples to him. He says, hey, fellas, come here. Everybody's gone. We need to have a little lesson. And then he says, I will tell you the truth. Anytime Jesus says that, he's emphasizing a reality that is a shocker. In other words, I'm going to tell you something that you don't really realize. Uh, this, is, this is the truth of it in the giving, and it's missed most of the time. So here's the truth of it. This poor widow, and it's not this, oh, this poor little widow. This is a woman in poverty who is a, a widow, has given more than all the others who were making contributions. For they gave a tiny part of their surplus But she, poor as she is, has given everything that she had to live on. What? It's pretty convicting. Is Jesus saying give everything you have to live on? Well, in a spiritual sense, yes. That's why you're not the owner. And the sooner we can get that in our hearts, the more relaxed we can become with possessions. And it it ceases being the kid that says, mine, mine, mine. No, it's yours. I've never given given everything that I had to God in terms of a monetary gift, like emptied my bank account. Bonnie and I have sacrificed through the years to build buildings like this and do things with the church as we tried to journey through vision and all that. We've sacrificed, but I've never, and matter of fact, I would say, God definitely wants you to be a good steward of the funds put in your hand. You should be planning for retirement. You should try to have a savings account. You should be a good steward of the talents. There's a lot of scriptures in there about your financial well-being. But Jesus is making a specific point here. He's trying to show the comparison between someone who is image giving to be known and be seen versus someone who is really giving Because they believe in the ministry, they believe in the cause, they believe in its value and its importance, and God knows the difference. So if we can take that and think on that a little bit this week, I think it will really make a difference in our lives. Giving cannot be judged or measured by others. What what you give, what you are capable of giving, time, talent, treasure, You look at a a platform filled with volunteers who are giving their talent to give us a worship experience in here. Do you know how much time these people have put in in their rehearsals on one night a week, on home rehearsals, and then coming in uh, and giving up Saturday night, giving up their whole Sunday morning? It's a lot. Week after week, some of them. It's a lot. There's, There's talent here, time here. And I just challenge us to say, where am I giving my time, talent? Tra-? This, isn't a, this isn't a guilt trip. You've heard me say so many times, we're not a church that guilts people. I, I think that is the worst 
motivation you can possibly do, especially in church. So I don't want to guilt you into anything. You'll regret it, and you'll, you'll resent it, and you'll be mad about it later when you realize you were manipulated by some sad story told and you gave, and you didn't really want to give, but you feel like you had to. That's not it. Giving is the joy that comes from giving is part of your DNA, being a son or a daughter of God. The kingdom reality lives in you. And it's like, as a parent, when you know your kids want something so bad, and you give it to them, and you watch them open it, and you go, yeah, there's way, that's a way better feeling than getting something that you want, because you have learned the joy of giving, and you love to see your kids receive it. So just take a look at your life with Time, Talent, Treasure this week, especially coming into the, the end of the year. We have a lot of ways to, to volunteer, to be involved, and not just here at Timberline, but in our community. What's out there? What's going on in your neighborhood where you can say, yeah, I'll show up, I'll do that, I'll, I'll, I'll take my truck out and, and take that load over for you, that kind of thing. How many of you have leaves in your yard? Man, alive, there's a lot of leaves in this town. And I saw, I saw some neighbors helping neighbors with leaves, and, and it was just so amazing to watch this. I saw this one poor guy. He, I think my newsletter might have said this. I, it's, he did his whole yard, never be first with the leaves. He got every leaf out of his yard, and by that afternoon when the wind came up, hit, the leaves in his yard were that thick. I mean, I felt so bad. So I stopped and raked him. No, I didn't. I, I should have, but I didn't. Okay, let me give you three things. Let me give you three things that I want you, you know, give what? Give this. So let's start with the, the comment about David, Lord of my lords. Give your loyalty to the Lord of lords. You know, if you haven't made a decision to follow Christ, do that today. Start with that because I promise you, all your generosity, your giving, all time, talent, treasure, all, none of that will work until you surrender your heart to Jesus. It'll just be another job and it'll be a burden to you to try to make this happen without a true love of who Jesus really is. Knowing that he loves you, he died for you, he laid down his life for you. Do that, start with that. Number two, give your image to God. Give your image to God. When you look in the mirror later today or tomorrow morning, how important is that to you? Hmm. Nothing wrong with looking your best. I, I, had a, I had a great time. When I first came to this church, it was suit and tie. And I had two suits and quite a few ties. So I figured if I could change it up with a tie once in a while, a lot cheaper than buying a suit. But I, I, I lived that way for about two years. And this is like Sunday morning, Sunday night. We had Wednesday night church, and I had a sport coat. I could wear that. And we had, after about two years, this lady in our church came up to me, and she said, I want, I, want to, I want you to hold your hand out. And I held my hand out, and she dropped five $100 bills in my hand. And I said, what is this? And she said, well, it's not for you. I said, okay. I wouldn't accept it anyway. She said, it's so you can buy two new suits. <laughs> I said, are you serious? She said, I'm serious. And this is the store that I want you to go to. I've talked to the owner, and 
he's going to show you the suits you can pick from that will be $500 for both of those suits. And she said, I want one of them to be light blue. I just marched right down to the store and bought my light blue suit and a black suit. Isn't that funny? But she was more worried about my image than I was. <laughs> and I'm not saying a suit is an image. But what you wear, why, why are you fretting so much over, over some of these things that are all about what you want people to see and what you want them? Again, nothing wrong with looking nice, be your best, all of that. But is it too much? Is it too much? Only you can answer that question. So give your image to God. And the last one is give sacrificially from the heart. You know, when you give sacrificially from the heart, you're recognizing that this asset has been in this bucket right now, but now I'm going to put this asset over here in this bucket. And all of my assets are part of the kingdom buckets. Yeah, I need to be a good steward for taking care of later on in my life, but I also need to be a good steward to make sure that I'm helping my neighbor, I'm aware of the needs around me, that I can share with those when God puts it on my heart. You guys, thank you for being a giving church. I mean it. Thank you for wanting to give. Thank you for wanting to share time, talent, and treasure. That's what marks us, our love for one another, that we sacrifice one for another. That, that marks us as being separate from the world. Lord, thank you for the opportunity we have now to, to pray to you. <laughs> not to people, not to impress. God, thank you that you hear our prayers. And thank you that we can be challenged by what you saw in church that day. You saw that they needed to learn the truth. You saw that they needed to learn about giving. You saw what sacrificial giving was. Thank you. We invite you into our world, our lives, every day, every moment, to be a God that walks with us in every little decision that we make, that we might honor you in all things. We thank you. We thank you and we pray this in your mighty name. Amen. Amen. Proud of you. Love you. Fun to share life with you like this. I mean, it, it really is. We never know what tomorrow holds, do we? So do it every day. Every moment you have, give it your all. And uh, let God examine your life. Well, let's just, why don't we stand and sing this song? I love the lyrics to this song. And uh, think about what it's saying as you sing before we walk out of here, all right? Yeah.
to pray with you about anything going on in your world. And I, I just saw the Cunningham clan over here. Hey guys, would you raise your hand so people can see? They got, we got the kids, we got dad over here, we got the kid. Oh yeah, it, we love you guys. We really do. Thanks, Alan. Bless you. Amen. Amen. Hey, there's some tables. You can sign up for stuff out there. If you're new, come by the Welcome Center. We'd love to say hi and meet you. Let love live. Say it with me. Let love live. God bless you. Have a great week.